Hey, it's Andrew Morgan, host of the NOMCAST, the Netflix original movie podcast. Each week we preview and review the biggest Netflix original movies with special guests from the film industry, the music industry, comedians, and of course our fellow critics and podcasters. The NOMCAST is available on nomcastpod.com or wherever you get your podcasts, on the socials at nomcastpod, and is a part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. I was going to say, like, the whole point of Star Wars is to get him to shoot those friggin' things to kill the Death Star. You took that the whole design of that movie. I'm a little... Things didn't go the way you thought. No, I'm just a little... (laughs) Stallone's playing soccer? Yeah. What's going on? I'm watching this. I saw that at a very young age, and I didn't... You're coming at me hard. I'm not coming at you hard. Yeah, you are. I just don't believe her choices. Her choices are ridiculous. Give me me an emotion. Hello, I'm Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that, for a variety of reasons, was forgotten by audiences, whether it's because a more popular movie was released at the same time or the movie simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the movie or perhaps don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. If you enjoy our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. We're on Instagram and Facebook. Find us. Our podcast is available on all platforms with a backlog of 150 episodes for your listening pleasure. And that is it. And that is oh, the open. Oh, so good. <laughs> so good. So good. Right? Right? <laughs> uh, can you, what are the podcast awards? The the Ampies or the the potties or something like that? So, I'm sure there's casties. I'm sure there's a casties. whole bunch of them. You just have to pay a quick fee to nominate yourself for each category. I mean, that's, that's how that's, it works, right? That's we fair. can get by that, right? <laughs> quick shout out to the Webby Awards where I went through that and I tried to do that with our podcast. I was like, let me just see how much it would cost if I uh, submitted it, submit to, it to certain categories. The bill came out to like eighteen hundred dollars, and I was like, "Please get get lost." Unbelievable. I mean, I guess it makes sense if you're a podcast, uh, like that you're produced by like an Wondery or something like that, or Amazon, or or like you know whoever does the uh, who does the Bill Simmons podcast? What, what is his network? What, oh, like, whatever know. his network. I mean, like they're they would fund they would fund that bill for you. They would they would pay for that for you. But for us, for independence, no, that ain't happening. Yeah. So it's all uh, it's all a sham. And uh, that's how it works. All right, so that's the last episode of Constant Podcast. <laughs> You'll tell we will not be on the Webbies. <laughs> One day. Eh, if we want to. <laughs> Somebody will pay that fee. <laughs> how much do you have to pay to guarantee a win? <laughs> uh, exactly. More than the other guy. A lot. It probably keeps going up. What are we doing today? We're doing Shallow Grave from 1995. Uh, not to be confused with the other Shallow Grave from like 1984 that also popped up when I searched for it. Technically, I think this is from 94, but it came out in 95 around here. But gotcha. Okay. Yeah, you're right. When accountant David, Christopher Eccleston, Dr. Juliet, Carrie Fox, and journalist Alex, Hugh McGregor, are searching for a fourth roommate for their trendy flat, they settle on the aloof Hugo. However, they soon find Hugo dead of a drug overdose beside a large sum of cash. After some deliberation, the three others decide to keep the money and to dismember and bury Hugo's body. Soon, each roommate starts thinking about keeping all the money by scamming the others. This is Shallow Grave. Now, that, first of all, that was obviously written by an American because why didn't they just say flatmate? Roommate for their flat? It's a flatmate. Mm-hmm, Come on now. Mm-hmm, Come on mm-hmm, now. Mm-hmm. All right. So Shallow Grave <laughs> has a runtime of 89 minutes. Love that. Rated R. Production budget of $2.5 million. Uh, release date. It came out on Friday, February 10th, 1995. I know I mentioned that it was a 94 film. I think it was in Sundance or some of the festivals in 94. So it started uh, can yes it yes, was in can yep it started its circuit run in ninety four and then got picked up so released here the tenth of February nineteen ninety five and opening weekend it did one hundred and five thousand dollars good job domestic it did two million but worldwide it did nineteen point eight million so obviously is is a much more popular movie internationally but which honestly for shame uh production mm-hmm. company is polygram filmed entertainment channel four films glasgow film fund and figment films distributed in the united kingdom by rank film distributors and in the u.s by gramercy pictures so came okay, went out the 10th of february went up against the quick and the dead the uh sharon stone russell crowe gene hackman leonardo dicaprio what else is in that that's it, right? I think that's a it. bunch of other people. That's a good movie. Uh, the uh, yeah, it was a good movie. I like that. It was Sam Raimi directed that. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, Billy Madison as well. That is the first Sandler film, uh, which I have an affinity towards. But, you know, uh, we're all dumber for having said <laughs> God have mercy. On us I love that. I love that clip. Line. They have that clips everywhere. So <laughs> uh, the 17th of February, the week after you had just cause heavyweights and the Brady Bunch movie. Uh, a couple favorites for Butler there. I do like the Brady Bunch. Movie. You don't like heavyweights? I have to see. I haven't seen heavyweights since I was a little kid. I really don't remember much. Of it. Uh, ben Stiller is funny in it. Uh, the 3rd of February, the week before, you had The Jerky Boys. I'm not a fan of that. Boys on the Side and a movie that we did for our last Forgotten Horror, In the Mouth of Madness. Yeah, nice. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I'm not a big Jerky Boys guy. Uh, I like some of their like bits, but I've never seen the movie. I don't like humor where the other person doesn't know that, that they're, they're in, in on the game. I don't like that kind you. of humor. I just think that's cheap. Not cheap, but it's like that's an easy target and it's not fair. And True. if you're on the other side of that, I'm not saying that I have been. We all have been, I'm sure, but not saying like I have been where I've been, you know, need therapy for it. Uh, it's just it's just not fun. I just don't it's like, like crank yankers. Yeah, I've never, never been a fan. And I know that I don't know. We worked with somebody who like did that. They would crank call people like on the weekend. Um I don't want to say the person's name, but yeah, and it's just it's a stupid, stupid thing. Anyways, yeah, no. uh, this movie was directed by Danny Boyle. I believe this is his director film feature directorial debut. Actually, it is his film feature directorial debut. Mm-hmm. Uh, he won an Oscar for directing Slumdog Millionaire. He's also done Train Spotting and the sequel for Train Spotting. More recently, he's done Yesterday. He's done a bunch of stuff. Twenty Eight Days uh, Later. Weeks. He didn't do Twenty Eight Weeks. He he produced. Oh, it. he didn't. I believe it? he produced. Okay. It, yeah. Um, he's done a bunch, a lot of different things. Uh, written by John Hodge, this is actually his first feature film that he wrote. Uh, he was nominated for an Oscar for writing Train Spotting. He's also done The Beach, the 2015 movie The Program, and A Life Less Ordinary. I believe that's another Boyle film. Cinematography by Brian Tufano, who's done Dreamscape, Billy Elliot, and Train Spotting. A lot of Train Spotting references here. Composer mm-hmm. by si- excuse me, composer is Simon Boswell. He's done Lord of the Illus- Lord of Illusions and Hardware. Hardware is a horror film. Edited by Masahiro Hirokubo, who's done Ella Enchanted, Aragon, and Breathe. And then produced by Andrew McDonald. I believe this is his first um, movie he's produced. Uh, He produced 28 Days Later, Ex Machina, and the upcoming movie Men, which I'm sure men are the uh, heroes in that, right? No? Uh, Have you seen the trailer? I have. I'm joking. (laughs) It looks good. It looks creepy, but yeah, we're the bad guys. That's also done by the uh, Ex Machina director as well. Yes. yeah, Yeah, I know. He's actually, I think McDonald has done... What was the, he just did a movie, uh, Annihilation. He yes, did that too. Yep. He produced that. Uh, Andrew McDonald is actually the father of Kelly McDonald, I believe. The oh, actress. really? Yes. Okay. Which I always find funny because she was in Train Spotting. That was her first film, and she's like naked. And I'm like, how do you produce this? And your daughter's like, okay. Like, this is, <laughs> but anyways, uh, I thought that was always interesting. Uh, as Butler said, Christopher Eccleston is David Stevens or David. I'm going to say David. There's a lot, their last names here, but they never referenced their last name. So I no. don't know why the last names are in the credit. So he's David. Uh, he is the eleventh doctor. He is doctor number nine. He's the ninth doctor. Eleven is Matt Smith. Nine is or ten is David Tennant. That doesn't make any. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Okay, yeah. really? Yep. How many? Wait, hold on. Now we're gonna get to some Doctor Who here, because they. I remember we talked about how they the regeneration cycle. There's only they can only have how many? They originally could only have thirteen, I believe. So then Matt Smith had to be thirteen. Okay, no, they could only have twelve. Okay, all right. And the War Doctor was the hidden one, so you didn't. You thought there was okay. one. Okay, okay, there was right. yeah, So, anyways, he's in the revitalization of the Doctor Who series. He is the first Doctor, like because when it he's came, the first of the right, Russell T right, Davies right. era. Yeah, uh, he's also in Existence, Amelia, and he's also in GI Joe: The Rise of Cobra. He played Destro. Uh, he's good in uh, Gone in sixty seconds as a bad guy. Yeah, he plays like he plays mean really well. He's one of those actors though that you don't realize he's in stuff, and then he pops up. And you're like, oh, oh, yeah. him. You know, because he's also in Thor, the Dark World. He plays the bad guy, Malachi. I hate that movie so well, much. That's yeah, probably I forgot, why, I forgot. That's why I didn't bring it up until now. <laughs> Ewan McGregor, who's making his feature film acting debut, uh, plays Alex. Uh, uh, everyone probably knows him from Star Wars. He plays Obi-Wan. He's also in the third season of the Fargo TV show where he played twins. He's in Train Spotting as well. And the more recent Dr. Sleep and the commercial on the Super Bowl ads. Uh, <laughs> Carrie Fox plays Juliet. She's Welcome to Sarajevo. Bright Star and Intruders. Keith Allen. Uh, so now here's those are the three main leads. Here's a couple of people that are kind of supporting. Sort of in it. Keith Allen plays Hugo. He was the flatmate that shows up. The fourth they ha- that they actually gets the flat, gets the room. Mm-hmm. He's Hugo. Uh, he is in The Kingsman, The Golden Circle, Eddie the Eagle, and the others. Colin McCready plays Cameron. He's the one that they make fun of in the beginning. And then he's the one that punches Alex later. The shit out of yeah, he's in the TV show <laughs> Tagger and The Last Bus. Ken Stott uh, plays Detective Inspector McCall. 
He might seem familiar to everyone because he's from The Hobbit. He's in The Dig and Fortitude, the TV show. Uh, he's actually, when you see him and you watch him in this movie, you're like, oh, I know this guy, but he's young because all the roles that I have showed you, he's much he's older. older. Yeah. yeah. John Hodge, who was the writer, obviously, uh, is plays DC Mitchell. He's the one that's uh, McCall's partner. And he's then, up and coming. He's, he's yeah, going to make the grade. I know. <laughs> Write that down. Good job. Peter Mullen as Andy. Uh, he's one of the bad guys that comes in uh, that tries to, uh, that's trying to find the money. And, right. Yep. Uh, he's in Warhorse and Children of Men. He's another one that you would see him. He looks familiar. He has a lot less hair now. So that might, might have thrown you off there when you saw him. <laughs> uh, so Butler has never seen this film. Nope. And never heard of it, right? I knew the title Shallow Grave and mm -hmm. I was, I knew it was done by a director that I had seen, but I didn't know it was Danny Boyle. Okay, um, but yeah, I didn't know anything else about it. Excellent. I just knew it was a movie I should probably have seen. So now tell me that you didn't like it. Go ahead. It's okay. <laughs> that was coming. <laughs> I didn't, I don't not like it, but I also wasn't like, God damn it. I need to see the next Danny Boyle picture. Train spotting is amazing. I mean, the next it, Danny Boyle made, picture ended up being great, but it made Danny Boyle who he is today. Oh, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like Croupier where I watch it going. I don't oh, think it's great. Why you have to, any, any chance you can get to throw shade on Croupier? I'm just saying, because that's another movie where it's like right. up and coming stuff. English and all that. film. I got you. Um, but like, I, I didn't not like this film, but it suffers from some of the same stuff. I think that the simple plan had again, of just like friends turning against each other and stuff. I mean, this was a much quicker pace, which I enjoyed, mm -hmm. but I thought also it was kind of all over the place in terms of tone, but there's a lot of dialogue I really like in this, but again, it's also the dialogue so quick. Sometimes they don't notice things. Mm -hmm. And I thought like the changing characters were like super quick in terms of some of that stuff, especially in terms of David and uh, some of the choices, some of the characters made were a little, I don't think wrong, but a little confusing to me. Well, here's the times to go back to your simple plan reference. And then we can get into the other stuff. Um, the nineties, the, the indie nineties were, these are the type of movies you saw. Oh, I know. Uh, Clay Pigeons, which is what we did. This movie, A Simple Plan, uh, Red Rock West, Last Seduction. They're film noir, the dark characters, not not so nice characters. Right. That's that's what's par for the course for right. 90s. Indie. That's right. what's yeah. littered in 90s, a lot of 90s indie stuff, which which is probably why I like a lot of the 90s indie stuff, because I, I like those films. Yeah, you like So movies. I think that just. You like mean people. Well, I just like, <laughs> I like realistic people, let's be honest. But this movie probably got greenlit because it, oh it's like that movie that we just saw in the states like you know what i mean like oh I'm that's sure. probably yeah, why yeah. you saw this film um so yeah so just to kind of like when you say like it, it reminds you of that i think that's what you had here was like a kind of like a copy and everyone's copying well, that's you know. that's the thing yeah. yeah so it's like okay it's it's 90s it's, <laughs> it's definitely very 90s <laughs> Oh yeah, totally. Which I don't care about. The flat is absolutely unbelievably ridiculous. I don't know too much about obviously Edinburgh because it's supposed to be in. It says it's. I'm sorry, it's supposed to be in Glasgow, but they filmed in Edinburgh. Nope, the other way around. No, supposed to be Edinburgh, but they filmed in Glasgow. Really? Yeah, I thought right. Okay, maybe you're right. They also filmed in Newcastle upon Tyne. You, I don't know about English. That might be where they draft the car or whatever. Movie shot in 30 days, so it was quick. Um, which is you know. Yeah, it's that's one set a few characters. It we just should, did a movie that was shot really quick, right? We did. What was it? Unsane? Unsane was yeah. shot, yeah, yeah, very quickly. Uh so yeah. Um <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so why don't we go through I don't want to start this. Do you want how do you want to start this? Do you want to start this with Characters? Actual act? Do you want to start with, with you? You had a problem with the believability of characters' motivations and actions, right? Is that what you said? As, as they went on, yeah. Okay, so why don't we start with David, Christopher Eccleston? David starts as a very meek person, and it's very unclear at the beginning: is he Juliet's boyfriend, or they're just flatmates? That's yes. You know what? I think they're just flatmates because Juliet makes a conscious decision to sleep Be with, with David him. in order to get closer to money. Right, right, right. So I think that that's where it started to get. They weren't just friends. That's where they started to kind of start working each other, right? On each other, um, yeah. Because at the beginning, it's not quite clear. It seems like it might be Juliet and David, and Alex is kind of like there and trying to get in there. But anytime you have a situation where there's two guys and a girl, there's always that rivalry, even if it's unsaid or said. Sure, you know they obviously are going to. There's going to be some kind of attractive nature to you know just living together. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, but David's very meek. He doesn't really stand up for himself. Um, he's very a by the book, by the numbers kind of guy. Go to go to work, punch in. He's like an accountant. Yep. Um, so he's very numbers oriented, very regimented. Yep. Kind of. He's very stuffy, 
but I don't think he's like super stuffy. I just think he seems he's conservative. Yeah, he's he's not super conservative, but seems more conservative next to like Alex and Julia. Definitely next to Alex, who's like a, a wild guy, basically. The the note that I have is that Alex is devil may care. David mm-hmm. is conservative and Julia is corruptible. Like she is easily corruptible, which you see because she is the one going back and forth trying to weasel her way to get the money herself. Right. Right. David's conservative nature. And then what happens to David as he just kind of turns, it changes him because he has to kill. He loses it. Well, he right. doesn't have to kill. He has to maim the body. He draws the short straw. So he has to be the one to chop up Hugo. Yeah. If they want to all keep the money, they all have to chip in on getting rid of Hugo's body. Yeah. Alex being a reporter knows how to get rid of the body and knows like what the cops look for. We got to chop off the hands and feet. Take off any kind of identifying marks, and you're gonna smash all those teeth out. That was Juliet who said that, right? No, it was Alex. Was it Alex? Yeah. Okay. All right. None of them want to do it. David draws the short straw, and he's got to. And do he the keeps chopper. saying, "I can't do it. I can't do it." Yeah, as they're trying to get right. leading up to it. And you wonder if David's saying that, like, because he knows what's gonna happen to him. Like, if because because what ends up happening is David David's the one that smashes in the teeth and all this stuff, like Butler said, and then that kind of changes him. Whereas these the two guys that are chased that are Seeking the seeking money, money yeah. Because Hugo just Hugo dies of a drug overdose. He just dies. He right. goes. Who knows what his plans were to be in the apartment? I'm I, I'm even wondering if he stole the money from these two guys, which is kind of what you get get a sense of why they're they're after him. Stole the money, or they just haven't heard from him, so they right. assume he stole the money. Either way, these two guys want their money back. Right. And uh, so they David ends up killing them because they he David's at this point hiding in the attic, uh, you know, just trying to like guard the money. guard the money and doesn't want because he. I, I don't think it's out of a it's not out of a need to keep it from the other two. It's because he's waiting for the other shoe to drop. He knows that something's going to happen. He talks about what's the price of because they go on a spending spree, Alex and Juliet. Yes. David comes back and finds out they bought hundreds and thousands of dollars worth of crap. Yeah. And he's like, what does this cost? What's the cost of this? And they go, oh, it doesn't matter. The price was this. He goes, no, no, no. That's the price. What's the cost? Right. Because he knows someone's going to come looking. It's It's a lot like a simple plan. Where Bill Paxson's character knows, let's leave this money for a year because we don't know if someone's going to come back for it. And once you start spending it, people are going to take notice. Yeah, David's like, no more spending. He drops it in. What is that box he drops it in? Filled with water. I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, I. Uh, my question was, why is there a wooden container of water up top in the attic? The only thing I can think of is that's their water. That's you know how like in the city and you have the big water. Uh, oh, that's their like version of it. That's kind of like maybe that's what happens. That filters down for ev- everyone's got that. I don't know. Like an emergency supply, yeah, maybe. I okay. Really don't know. I mean, it's a super probably a super old building, so maybe really old buildings have well, it. Maybe it's it's potable water kind of thing. It's that kind of uh, you know in that way, right? Um, I, yeah, I, I I was at a loss for what that was doing up there because all I kept thinking was that's just gonna start leaking. Like, why would I be worried that it's leaking into the house? The other thing with the building is like, there's no elevator. Like, we couldn't put an elevator in here. Well, well it's a it's really just, old building. If this so this building is not so, I'm pretty sure there's disability laws in the United Kingdom where you can't have a building where somebody can't get to the top floor if they're disabled. Maybe not 1995. Oh come on! But yeah, that was the other thing I was like, oh my god, I <laughs> I would I would not want to live up top. I had to walk up the stairs the whole time. Right. It's good for you. Get some steps. In. <laughs> what did you think about the way everyone they were introduced? Because they're not nice. They're not nice, which I kind of you kind of get right off the bat. So it's like, OK, so I don't care about who wins or loses this game, uh, which is fine, because like we, we keep saying it's par for the course for the 90s. Um, but you do get that they're friends, that they joke around, that they have a similar sense of humor, even if they're different. They all have this kind of dark sense of humor, yeah, the, yeah. which helps because then you tone shift, but then you kind of come back to it, which is a, an issue. I have. Well, it kind but, of sets up the movie's ending. I thought knowing that these people are not good people that, you know, oh, oh yeah, you know, right, a, right away the money that it's not going They'll to screw each other over. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but I thought it was all right. I mean, clearly I'm not laughing with them as they're making fun of uh, poor Cameron for no reason. Yeah, that was but, yeah. Well, it was good that Cameron punched him. I loved it when he like, yeah. oh Cameron, what's up? Yeah. So anyway, what they they interview the opening of the movie is like the first five ten minutes are interviewing flatmates, potential flatmates, and they're just ripping on them and making fun of them. They don't like them. They've already passed. They make some dude cry. Yeah, <laughs> Cameron's one of the guys. Is like this like uh, redhead guy who's obviously like he plays himself meek. Uh, and they're just he's like affable, but he they're ripping on him. He doesn't get it, and then he shows up later. At, they're at a new year's celebration and he's uh he's selling roses or something like right, that. right yep 
And Alex rips on him again. That's his Hugh McGregor's character. Rips on him again. And then Alex goes to the bathroom. Colin shows up with his buddies behind him and just beats the crap out of him. And it's like, you're at that point, you're like, good for you. Yep. I almost wonder if at that point is when Alex gets knocked down a peg and almost, again, sets up how he is going to respond towards the ending in terms of like changes his character. I absolutely think so. I think that that no longer being on top of the world kind of thought brings him down to, I want this money. I want out. Right. Or he doesn't like like, what's happening. I don't like things are not good because he ignores everything and nothing affects him until it directly affects him. Right. Um, Even if it's some kind of outside force, he then, he then kind of projects that onto everybody else Mm -hmm. because he's on top of the world. He, they chop up the body. He's watching TV shows with Pringles eating his ramen. He didn't have to deal with it. And it doesn't affect him emotionally as much as it affects David. Because even before they chopped it up, it affects David. Yeah. It somewhat affects Julia and it doesn't affect Alex at all. Right. Speaking of when David's destroying the Hugo body or the body of Hugo, he's like drooling all over him and like he's retching. vomiting up. Yeah. It's like, that's DNA. Yo. Like, I like, thought the same they're thing. Gonna, yeah. They're going to you're getting DNA all over that place. But <laughs> it's a, it's only vomit and it's going to get washed away in the rain. And well, if he gets it on the body and it's buried, it could be, they could get it. I mean, look. 2020, 2022, excuse me, analysis now, maybe, maybe back then. No, maybe I'm also thinking about American analysis and the United Kingdom is different. Who knows? It's also if he's in the system too. True, true. Yeah, that's, that's accurate. You'd have to then accuse him and get his own DNA after that. Which let's talk about the cops. Uh, We'll go back to Juliet and Alex a little. I didn't understand. (laughs) I didn't understand the, the leaps that they were making to get to, to suspect these three people. No, they make huge leaps. It doesn't make any sense unless there was like a deleted scene where while he's investigating this robbery, he's also similarly investigating the Hugo case. Right. Then maybe that would make sense. And he's like, Oh, I have a lead on Hugo. He was supposed to be a flatmate here. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. It's just like, I, I I know what you guys did. I got a sense of these things. I can sense criminals. Like the whole thing where he's just like, and four flatmates. Huh. Interesting. I thought there were three. Like, well, where'd you get the fourth one from? Like, where did you hear that? Which is what Alex keeps or no, David keeps saying. Where'd you hear that? Yeah. And it's like, who told you there were four flatmates? Like, seriously, that's something I want to know. Yeah, You don't see Hugo sign anything. He pays in cash. Yeah. I, so it's not like they have legal documents saying there's four flatmates. Yeah. He lived there for a year. He didn't bring up more than one suitcase. And the other thing is, all I'm thinking about is all you need to say is, well, we were interviewing for a fourth flatmate. That's what I was didn't waiting agree for with to say. It. Yeah. But we, didn't, we didn't find anyone we like. Well, well just say that. No. Nope. Yeah. I, I Convenience of plot. I didn't get the... <laughs> the leap i didn't understand how they were on their case i just didn't understand yeah, i mean i like them i like the way they acted and stuff like that and their characters write that down you can use letters and numbers it does words or numbers it doesn't really matter what you use i use the word good lad. No, I, good use lad. Both. I use both oh he said he yeah both? i use yeah. both yeah good lad good lad <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah the cops just seem to like really take leaps and bounds and then he drives off during like when Alex drives off during the reporting thing. Yeah. Talk about the body. It's like, can you be more suspicious? <laughs> You're in there as a reporter reporting on this crime. No one's suspecting you until you run off that weird. Yeah, that is all. Yes. Agreed. And his knee injuries seem to affect him shin? when it's con- his shin, yeah. yeah. When it was convenient. I'm sorry. I'm surprised they didn't break. I'm surprised. Uh, they, absolutely. Like, twice in one leg. Yeah, I'm surprised he didn't they didn't break his legs. Yeah. Very surprised. Uh, yeah, that was when the, the bad guys show up and, and want to know where the money is. And I will, again, and I, I didn't get how the bad guys figured out where 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 the money was. The freezer guy told him. I, what did he say? Because I didn't understand him. You can't hear what he says okay. on purpose. Okay. He must have just He said, just knows that Hugo was, was shacking up somewhere. Yeah. Maybe Hugo told him and we didn't see it. Mm-hmm. And then they put him back in the freezer with the cement blocks on top with the cement mix on top. Yeah. Like, ooh. <laughs> I do love when David takes those two guys out. Though. I thought that was really cool. Like he's waiting for it, so he's just got the upper hand. Right when they drops it, the crash test dummy down. Oh, the crash test dummy looks so good, though. When he, I know. Boom! Yeah. You're just like, oh, David. At, at that point, you're kind of cheering for David because you're like, oh, he knows what's up. I just was a little. The only thing with David is that I, I didn't understand how Alex and Juliet in the beginning when David decides to stay in the attic and starts drilling holes everywhere. Oh no, yeah. How they they seem to take it they seem to okay. take it okay it's, like yeah, like it like they didn't they weren't turn, afraid, they weren't scared for their for their own safety. You know what I mean? His turn goes like really hardcore and you can't tell if he's lost it against them or if he's still waiting for more people to show up. Yeah. It's very unclear and that's what I don't really like about David's turn. It's not just sudden in terms of like, now I'm a, a cold-blooded killer. Like, 
murderer kind of like crazy man, but also like what are their motivations right now? At least in a simple plan, you know each other, you get moments where you understand what each person is thinking and why they want the money, how they would spend the money and how maybe they're thinking about screwing each other over if they even are. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in this, you don't really get a good sense of that until that very last scene um, during the fight. And I, I, I like David killing those two guys, but then after that, it's like, wait, so what is he doing now? Right. What's the motivation here? Cause you have the money, you're in the attic. They go to work. You just leave, mm-hmm. just take the money and go. When she's in the corner hiding, uh, Juliet's in the corner hiding from him in the kitchen after he thinks she went to work. Right. Don't look for her. Get the bag. Leave then. Yeah. I, I didn't, I don't understand a lot of that stuff. It just seemed convenient for the plot. And then, but he was okay with leaving Alex and t- him and Juliet leaving, but then like going away. But then right. he knew that she had the ticket to Rio. Right. And so then he was just, what was his plan then? To dump her or when Probably dump her or confront them or just let her go to Rio, but without the money. Right. Um, you have the ticket, but you don't have the money kind of right, a thing. Right. It's, it's all very convenient for plot kind of a thing. I, I got you. I got you. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, I like how like Juliet is supposed to be a doctor, but she breaks her Hippocratic oath so easy so often. Well, she's not a good person. None of these. People I, I understand people. none of them are a good person, but like, there's no crisis of conscience for any of them really. David's is very quickly evaporated, and he's supposed to be the one that's got the conscience. Sure. Uh, and, and I just would have liked a little bit more of a moment where they're all they take it a little bit more seriously what they're doing in terms of like they actually talk out what's happening yeah because even in a simple plan like billy bob thornton's friend whose name i can't remember like he's really all about taking the money but even he grasps the severity of what's going on right and i don't think there's ever a grasp of the severity within the three friends well you can make a case when you compare a simple plan with this movie that in a simple plan they're a little older those those guys so okay. they have a little bit more maturity level. These these, these guys, guys are, like are 20 something. Uh, yeah, yeah. These guys are like mid 20. So they're just impetuous. They're rash and they make stupid decisions and they're really quick and they don't think about the consequences of what they're doing. Hey, we got money. Let's just get rid of the body and we're good. They don't really think about that. Right. So uh, that's you can make that uh, argument there for, for, for why they did what they did. The thing with Juliet is that I I, I, I don't mind that she's. I guess prone to being evil, I guess is the best term I can think of or corruptible, as I said before. Yeah, easily corruptible. I think that her character could have easily be written as, you know, what we talk about all the time is, you know, a less than character because she's female. I do enjoy so that she's just as she's on right. on even terms with all the other Absolutely. guys. Absolutely. I think that you're always gonna have that situation we talked about before where when you have two guys and a girl, there's always that triangle of attractiveness that you're going to someone's going to you know whatever absolutely yeah. whoever that's just human nature but there still are just friends and really the affection doesn't really come into play until the money enters the picture and corrupts them because she uses that angle then, right because yeah. then she knows that she has an advantage in using her sexuality to entice either david or alex so she even does it with alex at the dance exactly yeah so she, yeah so she's stuff, yeah. trying to play her angle so and she so she is just as what's the word I'm looking for? Not mischievous. Devilish. I guess. Yeah. She's just as, you know, conniving. Yes. As the other two can be. Mm-hmm. I think Alex is I don't think Alex is really conniving. I think Alex is somebody who sees an opportunity, takes it, like I said, devil may care, spontaneous. Sure. And never, and we talked about it already, and never really cares about the consequences until it happens when Connor punches him and then like he i said con- actions have right he starts maturing a little bit and realizes that okay wait a minute you know i it, now i'm scared now I, you know it's not really just hey we have money it's fun and stuff like that but back to but speaking of alex at the end of the movie he gets he gets stabbed and she plants the knife into him something good which i love right so uh, that he can't leave staples right. him to the floor yeah he's laughing because he knows that he's ab- above the money that he grabbed he got the money he pulled he a switcheroo won, yeah. and he's, his blood is bleeding on the money under the floorboards and you're supposed to he has a dream sequence where he's under the floor and that's where, supposed to be where he got the idea yep. my question is well, what point did he do that because I, I couldn't figure that out i couldn't figure it out either because you have this scene where he goes in the attic when david's not up there and he finds the money's in the the well water or whatever yeah. but that's 
before he gets the idea to chop up the newspaper. Correct. So I was also confused. I didn't know if it was at a sequence or he went up there another time. He had to go up there when they it. weren't up yeah. there. And, and do it again. And David's never left the flat. And David has a key. When David leaves the upstairs to take a shower and stuff, he keeps his key. Uh, do you think he did it when he, he went to go bury the bodies? No, because he took they he took both of them with him because they're huddled in the side of the car right, as he's you're driving. Right, you're right. Probably to make sure they didn't take the money and run. So I don't know when he would have done that. I have no See, idea. See, I don't know. So that's why I couldn't figure out, okay, when did he take the money and hide it? I mean, it's a great ending. I love the way it ends. Right. But when she's screaming in the car at the airport parking lot and she realizes she has no money. Yeah. Just like, yeah. He, he left that one little piece of the one quid like, or whatever. Yeah. Like right there. I think it was 10 quid. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although he's going to go to jail for a while. Alex? Well, I think so. Why? He didn't do anything. He could just easily say that I wanted to get, I wanted to, you know. I wanted to get out, but I was afraid. I was afraid she took the money. I don't know where it is. That's true. And she stabbed me and she killed David. She stabbed me because I was trying to stop her. And she took the money and ran. I don't know where she's going. She goes to Rio. That's true. Now, conceivably, they could find the, the suitcase full of fake money. Oh, and the then car, go, yeah. he's going to have to wait a while before he uses that money. Simple plan style. <laughs> he's Although go- that money's probably not marked because that money seemed to have come from an ATM. Oh, yeah. No, no. I don't yeah. know if it's not marked, but he's going to have to wait before he can use it. Yeah. So, yeah. But at that point, I would be like, put it in a suitcase, move, mm-hmm. wait a year, move away from all that and go start another life with your money mm-hmm. and just kind of, you you know, spending money. Well, I would put it into, if we're thinking about how to do it, I'd put it all into bonds. And then the bonds would mature, then cash out your bonds. It might take, you know, 20, 15 years. I think put some of it, you need, you're still going to need yeah. to spend. Let's put it in a, put it in a, a cash deposit box. No, oh, keep some money aside. Yeah, yeah. So you have it. Yeah. Get and a job. Your spending money will be the bonds and you'll get re- sure, the cash sure. back. And you can say like, oh, I made investments. I was smart exactly. investing. Yeah. There you go. I think we know what we're doing. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so this production uh, was obviously an independent feature and they had to auction off props. To raise enough money to buy film stock to finish I, the movie. I read that. That's really interesting because you got to make sure you sell the right props. You have to be sure you're done with the props. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. you go, Yeah. Let's say you're shooting in sequence and you're done with the van or something like that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that drum set's got to go. Yep. Well, yep. Did they shoot? In, it doesn't say they shot in sequence, right? I don't know. No, I'm just guessing. Right. Yeah, yeah. So the drum set's got to go. The giant monkey doll's got to go. Well, they, those are the expenses. Well, you, you saw the expense. You saw some of the stuff like the video camera and all that stuff that they had there. Oh, but Game then you Boys. don't see them anymore. Yeah. So then maybe that was the stuff they sold. I also like that it was $1 million um, in Bright Quid or whatever. And they had it cost them a thousand dollars. I didn't know you could rent real money. That was real money in that yes, suitcase. Yeah. I didn't know that you could do that. Uh, so I thought that was well. You sure you had your insurance going to cover it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But I never, I didn't know movies ever did that. I always thought they printed out fake bills. Oh, really? Well, I think some do, but some do it that way. Yeah, too. renting out real money. That was cool. They probably, yeah, they probably rent out. I wonder what kind of money they use in like productions. Like, is it like it's probably marked? It's, it's probably, probably marked or known. has something on yeah, there. They yeah, know that if it enters circulation, that it's been stolen. That kind of thing. It's probably money you can't ever use anyway. Oh, sure. Yeah, but I mean, especially as like a new act, like. Christopher Eccleston, Carrie Fox, Ewan McGregor, these are these are up and coming actors. They've never seen a million dollars in a suitcase. So if I was, you know, an actual actor and I open up that suitcase and it's a million dollars in real money, yeah. I'd have a a more real reaction too than sure. seeing it in fake money. Well, McGregor knows what that money's about now. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Out of the three of them for sure. Oh yeah. I mean, I think they're all probably doing well, but yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh this is um this is Danny Boyle's father's favorite movie. I like that note. Even yeah. Slumdog Millionaire. That's still not as good as Shallow Grave. Yeah, any movie that he's like, what do you think of this movie? It's not as good as uh, Shallow Grave. That, that's pretty funny. <laughs> uh, so one of the things also with Danny Boyle that the film is criticized for having cold slash heartless characters. That's something we talked about in the beginning, which we liked. And he responds, and I'm interested in what you think about this. his response. He responds by saying that building plausible characters pleases intellectuals like critics, but audiences don't invest too much into characters in film. What do you think about that? I saw that note and it's interesting because so often people love characters. People really latch on to characters. They emulate them. You hear about that all the time. People like leave a theater and try to emulate them in character for a while. Let's just get stuck with them. But at the same time, it's true that you don't need a super complex, you know, overly made up. You know, we're talking about the Oscar noms before we recorded uh, this, which by the time this comes out, they probably already happened. But congratulations to the winner. (laughs) Uh, 
how you know you make these convoluted characters that are just like overwrought with emotions way too complex you you dig way too deep and it almost gets boring or, or bogged down and you don't want to necessarily view that as the viewer and sure i'm sure these guys you know they have more depth to them than what we're seeing on screen but you don't need to see that because we're only spending an hour and a half with them mm-hmm. you don't need to know their whole life story you don't need to know their their likes and dislikes you know their their thoughts their hopes their dreams their <laughs> nightmares you don't need all of that and sometimes you can just have a plot where they're just three kind of unlikable people doing their thing. Right. They're not necessarily unlikable, but they are mean spirited characters. They're characters that when you watch them, you know, people like them or you were somebody like that. And so you can relate to that. Sure. And they right. may be a little bit on the extreme. Like everybody knows an Alex, but he's a little bit more on the extreme of the spectrum of course, for yeah. film's sake. Yeah, obviously. I, yeah. I, I will say this about Alex, though. He is the last character who wants to betray the other two. He's loyal to he's his friends. The first, yes. He's the most, he's the most freewheeling kind of definitely the meanest in terms of like, we got to chop up this body. Let's keep this money. But he's the one that cares the most about his friends. Even during the final fight, when David punches Juliet, yes. that's when he loses it and goes after David. You shouldn't have punched you know, her. You shouldn't have punched her. You could have left with the money. Right. He was cool leaving it all behind for his friends, but you shouldn't have punched her. And that's what gets him going. You could almost like, he talks them into keeping the money in the beginning, but you could almost like, he would almost, be able to be talked into giving the money to the police. He's like the yeah. Billy Bob Thornton right. character, but he's more, he is more charismatic and stronger in terms of moving the conversation than David is because and if he wasn't, if David was the one who was, he would listen. If Alex listened to David, then right. this, this whole thing would never happen. Cause they was like, we got to turn it in. Yep. We got to do what's morally right. Yep. But back to what Boyle was saying, I think that he's, he's correct because and I'm talking general audiences. Uh, right. You know, when you when you adapt, this is an adapta- this is not an adaptation, but when you adapt books for a movie, a lot of times the biggest uh, hurdle is understanding that you are not doing the uh, book. a book for a movie. You are doing an adaptation of the book and you the book can dive into characters deeper because that's the medium for it. But in a movie, you don't have that luxury. Yep. And what ends up happening is you end up having two and a half hour films that try to do that. And while they might be Oscar darlings and people who think they know about films not love them, uh, it's it's a disservice to to connecting with a general audience. Because at the end of the day, I know that some films are all films are not going to make a lot of money all the time. They're not. Right. But at the end of the day, even the most artistic directors want to be want to still make a living out of making movies. And the only reason, the only way they're going to do that is if their movies make money. Right. Granted, you know, I, again, I'm not saying like. You know, I'm saying like if you are somebody who is uh, more into the artistic nature of film and and just trying to like, whether it's just your messaging, you're not really care about the story too much, but you care about a lot of the other elements, then right. you need to make your movie for $2 million so that your movie can have a low overhead and you can make mo- more movies as you go on. But if you want to make big, serious films that connect to general audiences, that is something that you need to understand in terms of the difference between script writing and uh, you're writing a book, writing a novel. And, and I'm not talking about people that are established now. They already know this or they don't know this. And who cares? They've got their careers. And, I, and right. that's not, I'm, I'm talking about people that are up and coming that want to make movies and tell stories. Well, I think to latch, to latch onto that point, it's not just about making the money. Like I want to make a living. I think every artist wants to be seen. Most artists who aren't like super snobby want to be seen by as many people as possible. They want people to like them. Yeah. That's everywhere. It's human nature. They, everyone wants human nature. to like them. Even the, even the person that you know that's a curmudgeon yeah. and claims that they don't care. They care. Yeah. The artsy fartsy guy is like, I love that four people love my movie. Yeah. It, deep inside, he would probably have liked it if, you know, yeah. it made, it was number one at the box office, not just for the money, but because sure. everyone it's liked recognition. it. It's So many people saw right. it. Yeah. It's why people will, it's why you have people that are, contrarians who when a movie comes out and everyone either hates it, they love it because they want the attention or when everyone loves it, they hate it because they want the attention. It's, right. it's, it's so transparent. It's how human nature is. And what's, what's, I don't understand is there's so many excuses made for the fact that no, that's not what it's like, but it is absolutely what it's like. We didn't do this podcast because we love talking movies. We do. 
we want people to know who we are, obviously. We're, <laughs> we do commercials for crying out loud. You know, right. people, what we look like. And, oh, look at all there. You don't think we like that? I mean, we'd be stupid to tell you we didn't like that. We're, we're not dumb. Yeah. And we're not and we're not we're not stupid enough to not admit that to ourselves. So like, and to you guys. Exactly. So this idea of nobody wants that recognition is complete BS. I don't know. We got on a major tangent, but I think it was. Well, necessary. I think it works with Danny Boyles. That's what Danny yeah, that's what he's saying. Yeah. yeah. And he's right. And I don't want to make that artsy fight. Right. And look at Danny Boyle's films. They are very popular films that are also very well done, thoughtful pieces Yeah, where the characters aren't like overly thought out, but they are well-drawn characters that you latch onto and you want to watch Slumdog Millionaire, 28 Days Later, all that kind of stuff. Even though that's like a zombie movie, it's not. It's really, it looks at Cillian Murphy going through some trauma and stuff like that. It's, it's, but you don't get his whole backstory. Mm-hmm. That's why his movies are both successful and critical darlings. Some, some Dog Millionaire is the perfect Oscar film because it's a film that it's good. It, it, it's, it's, it's a, but it's a, a journey. It's a, your main character succeeds right. and he, he wins the girl and he wins the show. And it's just, it's such a feel good story that it was going to be an Oscar darling. If, if you, you only, you, you had to screw it up. Danny Boyle didn't screw it up. Right. As long as you didn't screw up that story, you were going to get recognition. Yep. So it's such an, but it's a good movie. So I'm not, I'm not, you know, knocking that right. as well. Did you see like the research part of this? So, Oh, they all had to do for a week or whatever. They all did the job. McGregor worked at a newspaper. Eccleston uh, spent time in an accountant firm and Fox did a night shift at a hospital. I mean, do you think that mattered? No, not, not exactly. in the but least. Thank you. I didn't know what Alex's job was for the longest time. <laughs> I'm like, what is he? And then he goes, it's a story. I go, oh, he's a writer. Yeah. What kind of writer? And I've, then you see him at the newspaper. Like, oh, okay. I thought he was just some kind of data analyst. Yeah. And, yeah. Halfway through, you're like, okay, that's what he does. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Absolutely unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Just so Juliet can be in a white robe for two scenes. <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then have that scene where the nurse is asking, or the other doctor is asking her about, the patient the dead that died, body. a dead body. And like, about the dead body? What? what? Dead body? Yeah, like it's supposed to like, you know, she's going to betray what actually happened. Yeah. Well, that's part of what I, I like the black comedy in the film. Sure. I think it really works well. It just kind of pops in and out toward the end. Mm-hmm. Like as soon as David kills the two guys, you go, okay, now it's a dark you yes. know, drama. And yeah. then it goes back into that comedy for a little bit. Yeah. But I also like that they spent time together, a week together in the flat, in well, a flat. I, I saw that note as well. That they he had them Boyle said had that they stayed together for a week before the show movie, and they rehearsed. Eccleston said the only thing they learned was that they didn't like each other. Yeah, but I also have a note that says that Boyle stayed in a four bedroom flat with them leading up to production, where they interviewed crew members together. I saw that same note too. Which one is it? They probably did both: interviewed crew members and rehearsed. Okay, but like, so Eccleston said he didn't like Boyle either. Like. Eccleston always comes off as a curmudgeon. Like he does, especially when he's talking about Doctor Who and stuff. He, he does. Seems like a, a bit of a curmudgeon. He always has a problem in something. Yeah. There's always something going on where in the production he's got an issue. He had an issue with Thor: Dark World with the makeup and all the stuff. He, he it's like he seems like he's always a complainer, a bit yes. of a complainer, which is probably why you don't see him in a lot of stuff. Which he's a fantastic actor. So yeah, well, that's fine. If he didn't complain, you probably see him. Yeah, more. maybe you know that's fine. People just that's how people are. Whatever. Who cares? You know. Can't, can't, whatever. I don't, I, I, don't know. I wanted more seasons of him as the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't want to do them. I understand. Well, now he's doing audiobooks and all that kind of stuff. Well, it pays the bills. I'm exactly. sure that's now fantastic. Like, oh, I should have done it. <laughs> uh, did you read the note that uh, Danny Boyle avoided guns in the film and his reasoning why? He didn't want to Americanize it. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Which I, I do usually hate that in films that take place, especially in England and the UK. Mm-hmm. It's just they don't have guns. It's not easy to get guns in the UK. And in so many, they try to be like American movies and everyone's like got Guy Ritchie guns. films. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's not, it's not how it works. Right. Uh, so this is more realistic in that these are just kind of guys that are just roughhousing people yep. and using everyday objects to torture <laughs> them. And that, that makes way more sense. And even in American films, not everyone's going to carry around a gun at all times because it incriminates you. Right. Right. Like you get stopped by the police and frisk, you better have a uh, registered firearm. Yeah. Uh, so I, I do like that. And I do agree that, you know, as an American, I go, yep, nope, that's right. <laughs> 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 that is what everybody thinks about us. Everyone thinks we're all strapped. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> would you have liked, back to David, would you have liked it if uh, Robert Carlyle played David? I saw that. Because he turned it down. No. And then he went on, he goes on to play uh, the role in Transpotting, which he's very he's famous for. for he's awesome in Transpotting. I love it. Uh, <laughs> I can't even say my favorite line. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I could see him as straight-laced as 
Eccleston he as might have, David. Probably would have played it a little differently. I, I would think, think so. Yeah, he would have got more maniacal, which I kind of would want. I don't know. I, I I wouldn't mind seeing it. I liked how withdrawn David. I mean, even though I think it's just a sudden turn, I do like how withdrawn. Like I believe. Gotcha. Them being scared of David, like holy crap. He's taller than too. He's taller than both. Oh, that's them, what I like about that final too. fight yeah, is he's yeah. fighting them both off because yeah. they're you know Hugh McGregor's not very tall, right? And uh, Juliet isn't either. Yeah. So I do like that he's just fighting them all off, mm-hmm. and I would also be scared of of David's sudden turn as well. Gotcha. That's gotcha. believable. Robert Carlyle is a very short person, um, <laughs> and very like he's scrawny as well. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I I don't believe, like you said, it would be a very different when that final fight happened. He would have to be almost crazed. It would be a much different kind of it would be fight at the end. But we're also thinking like Begbie from Trainspotting, I'm sure, is in the back of our mind. So oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I like I, I like the fact that I guess all the stuntmen had to walk off because they couldn't get paid yeah. right before the final so, fight. So the actors had to do the final fight themselves, which, which I'm, I'm fine with because yeah. it shouldn't look it shouldn't look clean and yeah, it should special. look dirty and not you know not perfect and that's fine. I'm fine with that. And I didn't even. Did, you have stuntmen because you don't want the actors to get hurt. But come on, I mean, you're, you're wasn't all like young. A crazy fight. Exactly. Yeah. Who cares? I mean, you could tell they didn't. I couldn't find any notes on how they did the stabbing. Oh, the shoulder looks bad. But you could tell <laughs> that he's like he's got a prosthetic. He's in some kind of side. yeah. You can tell that, but that's fine. I don't. It still works, so I'm I'm fine with that. David's throat looks good though. Yeah, I like that, that looked good. really good. Yeah, that that probably was just uh. Because you hear it and then he lifts up and he's got the little thing. But it moves a little. Well, they could have fishing wire down. Maybe, yeah. yeah. So I thought that worked well too. So that was that was good. But I was like, oh, as soon as he gets it in the throat. Yeah. Like, and he dies almost immediately, which eh, uh, he does kinda. shake a little at the he end. He shakes but, and then yeah. you hear his last breath go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why are we laughing at that? I don't know. But oh, that's another thing. When they're chopping up Hugo, yeah, and he goes to uh, smash the teeth, they do a close up on Hugo's face. Yeah, the uh, Keith Allen, the, the actor, his eyes look. Oh, do they? Up. they they're moving around so oh, much. I noticed. That. I was like, oh, that's so bad. Because I thought his head was off at that point, right? He had cut his head off at that Did, point. I don't think they cut his head they off. Just Did they? His they just okay, smash his teeth. They just smash his teeth. But when right. he's raising the hammer, when they close up on his face, the actor's eyes are moving up, clearly looking at. I guess the cameraman yeah. or something. So his eyes, his focus shifts. Yeah. It's like, oh. <laughs> Plus, she closed his eyes. Oh, they well, maybe they pop back open. Maybe that's that's a misnomer. Well, too, I know though. in real life, yeah, yeah, it's really hard. If they, if it's rare for you to die, I guess with your eyes open. But if you do, you're not closing because like, you got yeah. uh, sew so them shut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice, good facts, facts, facts. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Janet Maslin from the New York Times says that this misanthropy over the misanthropy overwhelms his films in ways that prove more sour than droll, despite the presence of skillful actors and a bizarrely enveloping plot. That's a lot of words there, Janet. Wait, what? So she does? She like it or not? Like I have no idea. Her review is very all over. I think she says because it's mis- uh, because there's uh, misanthropic tendencies in the film that it's overshadowing the the actors like it's just because it's just so down evil and mean and noirish that she doesn't like it i guess i mean but the thing is the film's only an hour and a half which is awesome it doesn't give you enough time to feel that and it shouldn't yeah Yeah. it gets to the the money and the betrayals super quick that you don't get that kind of slow misanthropy yeah um i don't know i don't i don't agree with that review Roger ebert says that all of the materials are in place but somehow they never come together i would more agree with that okay well i do like the film i think it's very imperfect has a lot of issues and i think that might be what it is um but that's not him saying necessarily it's bad right for no reason <laughs> i kind of i although i like everything in this film it's myth and Thrive, I, so i hate it i like the, i like <laughs> the movie a little bit more than you do and that's fine i think I, like i said i've always have uh, i always have an affinity for independent film but let me ask you this question about the opening so i the opening is so 90s with the techno dance music starting oh absolutely but then we never get that again it's and it turns into like this classic film noir score so yeah, i wonder what 19, you thought about that 1960s song yeah, at the I, end and then yeah i was because there's so many different ranges of music in the movie i'm wondering it was very 90s it was like you got to make it 90s let's uh let's put this in there like we've done so many 90s films that have that kind of techno well, opening. Do, well, the last one of the season it has told all that music is Run Lola Run. Right. Which which that the opening reminded me of that. But I would yeah, I was wondering what you thought about why the change. I I don't know. It's off-putting. It is off-putting. 
I think that's Daniel, Danny Boyle, just kind of like, I want that sure, opening. Sure. And then the composer cho choosing something else. <laughs> Danny, that's enough. We're doing this. <laughs> Which I don't think the techno really would work for the film anyway. It's not a film that's steep in a certain, although it is very 90s, it's not necessarily very, it doesn't use the 90s as part of its story to center itself, you know? You could have had like a Hitchcockian score, an uh, Edward Herman, uh, excuse me, a Bernard Herman score, score in there. But that would set the mood for you a little bit. So I don't know if that would throw you off. Well, that's like uh, The Machinist. Yep. Yep. Well, we love that part. Yeah, exactly. But they didn't find that until they did it at the edit. And they go, right. oh, man, this is a Hitchcock yeah. movie. Well, yeah. But yeah, that's true, too. And maybe Danny Boyle was the same way. Maybe he always wanted that opening and he didn't realize, I'm going to make this indie 90s, you know, I'm going to be this guy. At Richard yeah. And it ended up being, oh, no, it's an or. Never mind. Yeah. As he watched it, goes, no, that's not right. For so this. do you think it would have? benefited more if it had more like a simple plan style music or red rock west a film like last seduction kind of music like that kind of i like, actually thought the music worked for the film I, other than the opening well the, my, <laughs> my my whole thing was the fact that they it changes they started with that with the tech now it goes to the film right. score and then it goes to that little old-timey song but that's also part of it's all over the place oh, i got you that but that's like them being friends and it's a comedy it's like a black comedy and then it goes into actually like it's a thriller mm -hmm. um but it it's so disjointed in certain places uh, and I know that song, he, apparently he heard yeah. and he kind of like, that was like a last minute kind of like, oh, okay. I think Let's I want to put, put it this in my movie. Yeah. Uh, so it's all a little kind of all over the place, but I think the music mostly works. Well, it didn't matter because they had a hit and they knew they had a hit and can and can when uh, they had it, they showed it once. And that came back with three screens. Yeah, they showed it once and it was packed and they had, they had a, people wanted to see it again or wanted to watch it. So they had to add three more shows. So right. they already knew they had a hit. He was. I'm sure he had already signed Transpotting after that. So, <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, so I got a couple of quick little things uh, we can get to. Uh, just kind of like notes I had that really, really couldn't squeeze in. Did you know that the screenwriter was a doctor in real life? I don't know if he is still now. I but, read that. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of cool. <laughs> well, that's like Michael Crichton. Uh, was, well, he was a big time doctor. Yeah. Right, and his was, first couple of books were medical books or wrote, medical based. Yeah. Books. He wrote a book called in case of need that he had to write under a pseudonym because it was about abortion. And at the time abortion was a hot button topic and yep. people weren't going to do it. So he had to use a pseudonym to write that name, but it's actually a really good book, but it was one of his earlier books. Right. And then Andromeda strain was right after that. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. They yeah. did the great train robbery. He was like a ER. He was an ER surgeon or an Correct. ER. He was an ER or something. something like that. That's yeah. why ER is based on his experiences. Yes. At least the first couple episodes. Oh, you mean with George Clooney? Awesome. <laughs> Uh, did what did you think about how Juliet never answers the phone, and then the one time she does, it's not good. Did, did you get that? Did yeah. You that? Uh, Tell I, them I'm not here, and it's always she's not there, she's not there. But then she answers it, and it's not good that she answers it. Yeah, I mean, because it's the two guys that are looking for. Yeah, no answer. Know. Yeah. But what would it if? I'm just curious what you thought about that little. That's kind of that's like yeah, a little. Thing. It's a little like it's a little thing that lets you know, hey. Bad things are about to happen. Sure. So I kind of liked it. So it let you know that, hey, this movie's about to take a turn. Sure. It was almost signaling like, hey, guys, you're waiting for this moment to happen. Mm -hmm. It's coming. Yeah. But at the same time, I didn't care about the phone thing. I thought there was going to be a bigger payoff. Sure. And it ended up just basically being uh, David's character standing up to that one guy. I just think it's a little bit of a, just kind of like a, she never answers the phone. She does. And no one's there. Yeah. It's probably like, boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Yeah. I just yeah. thought that was interesting. The, uh, when they dumped the car into the, into the quarry. So that's uh, Alex pushes the car into the Waterfield quarry. So in, in the production, the, the car was meant had a ballast and it was meant to inflate so, they so that they can it. retrieve the vehicle. But it didn't work. And Danny Boyle says he thinks the car is still there. So they basically threw a car in this water and we're just like, all right, we're good. Let's move on, I'm which I totally get. Yeah. Well, I'm surprised <laughs> the state didn't go. No, get out. <laughs> if they read this note, they probably were like, oh, crap. But they probably didn't know back <laughs> then. Everyone move away. Pretend it's yeah. gone. No. Yeah. We took the car. Out. All right, guys. Thanks. Everybody. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> I like that most of the production budget went into the creation of the flat. You had to because the flat is a big part of it. Yeah, but I thought the flat was just like, I didn't realize it was a set. I thought oh, they yeah. just found a flat. Yeah. But it's a ridiculous flat. Because the other thing was, it seems like David is being interviewed by the police at the same time that Alex and Julia are in the apartment in some scenes, mm -hmm. which was a little off-putting to me. Okay. Did you find that as well? What, when? No, I don't think they were there. They thought they were at work. No, because they have scenes where they're talking in the apartment. And then you flash back to David doing different answers. 
Oh no! I thought they weren't together at the same time. It I thought seems, it was just a flash. No, it's oh, like okay. no. Well, I, maybe they aren't, and it's it's done in different times. It didn't bother me too much. I was a little confused because I was like, "Where is this? How big is this flat?" I mean, David's not doing him, himself any favors. He's coming off as a as a creep, so it's not you know. How'd you know, the know there were four? Yeah. How'd you know there were four? How'd you know there were so, four? I mean, like he, What'd you hear? What'd you hear? What'd I you mean, hear? I understand how the cops like we talked about this already, but I understand how the officers can get a suspicion of something's up knew what was going on once they talked to them. I just don't know how they got to that leap to go to the flat. That's all. But like you said, maybe we missed something. Yeah, in the, the, in the, <laughs> the shinning as the shinning. it is in the Simpsons. You don't want to get sued. <laughs> uh, I guess so. I guess we're at that moment where I ask you this question. Question that's obviously popular amongst the forgotten. <laughs> Why is it forgotten? Why is it forgotten? Butler? Because train spotting is a lot better and a lot more well-known and mm-hmm. has some of the same actors and I so, think a lot of people like me think that's Danny Boyle's first movie because I thought that was Danny Boyle's first right. movie. Um, and I mean, this isn't hard to find. You can rent it. It's just not on a streaming service. Sure. I do think if this was on a streaming service with Christopher Eccleston, with Ewan McGregor, with Danny Boyle's name, this would absolutely like blow up on Netflix if it popped up. People would watch. This would be like one of those. Hey, it reached top 10 for a day. Maybe. Because um, I think people would be like, what is this? I don't know if people know Danny Boyle too much now. Danny Boy was big back then. He yes. has kind of slowed down a little. Well, bit. I just don't think people. He's not because he doesn't because he doesn't do. He's not new and up and coming, and he's not he doing the Marvel, big Marvel movies, film. Yeah. yeah, so it's you know I don't. His which last movie was Train Spotting Two, which again was still which an I indie. still have not seen, which bothers me. I, I can't, thought you saw I it. I never saw it. It ticks me off that I never saw it. I'm gonna put it on the board. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to. I was like, oh, T two, and then it never came out around here. I think, I think it was that's what it, for a while, but it I don't kind think of it's streaming threw me off, and I never found it. I'll get it, but I never like you know. I never <laughs> yeah. just went back to it, and, you know, because that's it's the so one thing. I I I love that there's so much content out there, but it's so much that you forget about the movies you wanted to watch. Yep, uh, that really. But yeah, no, he the, his new. What is his new one? I think I saw it. It's um, we did yesterday. That was it's tough. With we talk about, this I like yesterday. Yesterday was good. With the pandemic, it's tough because you know everyone everyone would put on pause, and you just kind of like have to find your normalcy right. again. Which thank Christ we're coming back to. <laughs> um, apologies for this swear, but uh, not really. But um, you know. But anyways, so you think it's forgotten because everyone remembers it more from Train Spotting. I agree with you there. I think yeah. people always tend to when they say Danny Boyle, if they know film or young we'll Train Spotting, we'll say Twenty Eight Days Later, Slumdog Millionaire. I think Ewan McGregor really didn't. When did when do you think Ewan McGregor really popped train spotting? Train spotting. Yeah, yeah. But I will say that the toilet bowl. What's up? <laughs> the toilet bowl. Um, I, I do wish people would know more about this movie because I know that while you thought it was, it was a just fun okay, watch. It's I a enjoyed good watching. Film. It. I think it's a good. I think it's a great first film for Danny Boyle. And, and honestly, do you really want your first film to be the best thing you ever do? No, because you're going to no, be down from there. Be able to catch up, right? Which, but right. Then, then you it, get train spotting. But yeah, but he but he won an Oscar for Slumdog, so he's that he doesn't. And I like twenty eight weeks later. He's he's Danny Boyle is a good director, uh, a very good director. Um, So if you don't really know, you probably odds are you've seen his films because the problem. The other thing is like he does so many different types of films, which I love different types of genres. Which I always say about a good director needs to like everyone says, oh Martin Scorsese. It's like and he is an amazing director. Yeah, but but it'd be nice to see him go out of his comfort zone and do other movies to really uh, prove himself like Spielberg has done. But he does. Well, he did Kundun. He, he's, he has, he's before. done a few. Yeah. Yeah. He, he Scorsese has to, but his Danny credit. Boyle goes all over the place. With sure. His movies, which I is think really he's, nice. which is nice. It's, he's very, uh, not flexible, adaptable. Yeah. 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 That, so that's, that's probably the best word. He's got range. He's got yeah, <laughs> range as a director. Yeah. But I really think if you do like his films and you do like, those the other films that we have done on this show like uh clay pigeons red rock red west. rock west i know we didn't do the last seduction but we talked about it a lot did yep. we do the last seduction no we did do yeah the last we did seduction. do the last yeah. seduction simple plan yeah if you like shallow plan, grave is, is like this is very much sure. like this and it's a and again it's a 90 minute quick you know quick hitter that's it's nice it's yeah. less than that like that's the thing is like although i have a lot of problems with the movie like you always ask me if i would recommend this movie oh, to yeah, people totally i'd recommend this to anybody this is a good this is a good watch this is a good watch it's a movie night movie. Saturday night movie night movie or a double feature because it's 90 minutes. Yeah. Um, so absolutely. No, I. And you I see agree. a bunch of young up and coming actors. You've seen a bunch of other stuff and, you know, a young director yep. and screenwriter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Where can they find us? You can find us on ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com or ForgottenEntertainment.com as we are part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. While you're there, check out all our other great podcasts and videos and all that good stuff. Uh, and then you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, YouTube, like, rate, subscribe, all that good stuff. 
Uh, it all helps our podcast grow and get noticed by other people. And then join us in the lobby on Facebook, uh, the Forgotten Cinemas of the Lobby, where we talk about the movies. Let us know if you've seen Shallow Grave, what you think about it, um, what you think about its use of kind of 90s tropes on characters and plot and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and that's it. Next week, we're popping out of the 90s. We're going to 2008, where we're looking for a fixer. And his name is Michael Clayton. So, yeah, uh, yeah we, we both this love is one of the initial like list movies. I believe so. I, I think so. I think pretty much everyone has liked this movie. I don't know anyone that doesn't like it or either either like it or they haven't seen it. Right. But um, it's it's definitely one that I know we're big on, but we'll try not to gush too much. We'll try to bring some facts. I don't like this part of the movie. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember any part I didn't like. <laughs> I love the ending. That's my best one. I, that, that's, I'm sure that if you were, I, I'm not saying that you're not an active uh, actor, but if you were out there, you know, performing monologues, monologues, this would be one of the monologues you'd want to do. His ending. Have you seen it more than once? Uh, yes. Okay. I've only yeah. seen it the once. Really? Yeah. Oh, no. I only saw it in theater. If it's on HBO and it's towards the end, I keep it on because I'm like, I want to see the ending again. But like, I love him. <laughs> Tom Wilkinson's great. In it. Tom we'll, Wilkinson's we'll get to that. Amazing. We'll get to that next. The scene when they, uh, we'll get to that. We're next just going to gush over the whole No, no, I know. We're, we're, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that's all I have. Everyone have a great week. I'm Mike Field. Uh, I'm Mike Bowler. And this has been Forgotten Cinema. <laughs>